Tonight, the title of my message is Identity Theft Alert. <laughs> Let's pray, Lord. Thanks for your word tonight. Thank you for your saints that have come out. I pray they would be edified, built up, encouraged in you and in your word. We uh, gather together in your name. Anoint our ears to hear the truths that we need to hear tonight. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said amen. amen. Luke chapter 22, we'll get right into it. Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. Picking up on a little verse that we had last week. I felt it was uh, expedient for us to touch on this just a little bit more. Let me get a little closer to you. That's pretty close, ain't it? Verse 31, and I'll read on in the King James Version. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. CIA, you may be dismissed, and anyone that needs to be dismissed, only somebody stay to listen to the Word of God. Amplified Bible describes it this way. Satan has desired, he says, has asked excessively that all of you be given up to him out of the power and keeping, the power and keeping of God. So Satan has asked exceedingly, you know, to have access to you, in other words. And we talked about this last week. Um, how that in the living Bible, sift you as wheat, talks about separating the kernel from the outer hull in such a way as to separate you from me. I never understood that till I read that in that translation. To separate you as wheat, in other words, separate you from me. Tonight we're talking about identity theft alert. One of the things that you'll find tonight is the enemy is not trying to necessarily just separate you from a doctrine. He's trying to separate you from God. He's trying to separate you from your relationship with Him. And we'll see that more clearly as we read this account, how Jesus prayed for Peter. And, uh, you know, first of all, just a thought that we do have an adversary. And you'll find in the book of Job... Chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but it's interesting how that Job attacked Job's character. It says, now in the day in Job chapter 1 verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them, and essentially presented himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And he answered, Satan answered to the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth in it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Is there none like him on the earth, blameless and upright? And of course, you know the story, how there was a dialogue that, that God said, I'll put my man up against your best shot. <laughs> and of course, Job won the, 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 the uh, particular challenge. And uh, not without certain things, people that were not lined up. And the thing that, that Job greatly feared did come upon him. But he got that straightened out. And he got back double. So don't get nervous about that. Does that happen today? Well, I don't know. I'll let you speculate about that. It happened in Zechariah. Look at Zechariah chapter 3. It says, when uh, the angel showed me Joshua, Zechariah chapter 3, and I have the New Living Translation. Try to keep along with me. The angel showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and the accuser, Satan. So we know that he is what? He's an accuser. That there was, an, uh, an, uh, was there at the angel's right hand making accusation against 
Joshua, and the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen uh, Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has snatched, been snatched from the fire. And then, of course, he changed the clothes. He says, give him a garment, give him a tunic, you know. Uh, and then he gave him a charge. He said, your iniquity has been put away from you, put away your sin. Verse 5 says... Then I said, they should also uh, place a clean, uh, you know, turban. Verse 6, the angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Joshua and said, this is what the Lord of heaven, of our, the Lord of the armies of heaven says. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. And I will let you walk among those, uh, uh, these others standing here. Uh, this is not really the message, but what it is, it's, it's showing you that in a sense, there is a showcasing of who you are and your relationship with God. In fact, that's quite biblical in the book of Ephesians. It talks about how he could show forth, you know, his life through us, the church, how he would make, he made a show of them being the, the, uh, the forces of darkness openly triumphing in the, in the cross. And in Ephesians clearly says that we're a shining example of God's goodness. But so let's move ahead here. This whole idea of uh, Satan wanting to have access to Peter. Friends, don't get nervous tonight. This is a happy story. It really is. But if Satan wanted access to Peter, do you suppose he'd want access to you? Absolutely. You're a target. Especially if you're a Bible-toting tongue-talking, believing, Jesus-loving, kingdom-loving Christian. You're a target, so don't get nervous about that. But what his strategy is to separate you from Jesus, separate you from God, get you off and isolated. This is the accuser. Re Revelations chapter 12, verse 10, 11. We, we just quoted this last week, but I want to talk, I want to read it out to you. At this moment. And I heard a loud voice, and this is in the King James, Revelation 12. Everybody still here? And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is what? Cast down. Now, he hasn't been cast down yet. It's from the context of Revelation he was cast down. But as, at the moment, he's still accusing you. You got that? He's still hunting for you. He's still looking for an avenue into your life. So the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. So I've, I've, I've quoted several Old Testament scriptures, and now we're in the New Testament scriptures, and you see this dynamic. I don't understand the mystery of this dynamic, but somehow the accuser of the brethren has access to God's ear and makes accusation. But you saw when he was talking to Zechariah, the Lord himself is on our side. He turned to Zechariah and he said, I, the Lord, rebuke you. Now, this is very important because you've got to understand that God is for us, not against us. Hallelujah. So the strategy back again that the accuser has is to isolate you, to separate you from God, Jesus, separate you from your Bible. I've talked to many, much too many Christians for me to feel laissez-faire about this topic. They feel so guilty they feel so flattened and remorseful over what may what have happened in the past. They feel not worthy to come before God or like somehow they're a second class citizen. 
And unfortunately, this is, this is where our, our topic is. I, I trust this will be strategic to strike right at the heart of that so that we understand that there's some lying going on here. Why is it that Satan is trying to separate you from Christ or separate you from God? If you go through the story of Peter, did you know that Peter, when he denied Christ, remember that time where the cock crew, Jesus prophesied it ahead of time. He said, you know, er, oh, I'll follow you to the very end, Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, you know, actually, Peter, what's going to happen is before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. That's what's going to happen. And then, of course, they, he, when Jesus was being scourged and he's being questioned, somebody ID'd Peter and they said, hey, you were one of them. And he goes, oh, no, I'm not. He even went to the extent of swearing and cursing and saying, I don't know him. Remember that? And it says after that episode where a little girl came to him and said, you're one of them. Oh, yes, you are. And he said, no, I'm not. And he's cursing everything. And when he denied Christ, he was in denial. Watch this. He was in denial of who he really is. Of his true identity. He says that he went out and he wept bitterly. But one of the results of that is that when he went out and he's, he's out hiding, Jesus finally raises from the dead. Let's fast forward a little bit. And what's going on here is that Jesus appears to them. And we're working on something here. Everybody stay with me. Jesus appears to them and he shows himself alive. But Peter hasn't bought in yet. He really hasn't. Because at some point in the, fi- in, in, in the near future, he says, I'm going fishing. I go a fishing. Remember that? I go a fishing. And the other said, okay, we'll go fishing with you too. And see, Peter had not received forgiveness and really moved on with who he really was. What actually happened here, I want you to notice, the, I want you to notice this, uh, this interesting uh, situ- situation with Peter. He says when, when uh, Peter was on the beach and Jesus caught fish and he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Remember that? How many times did he say that to Peter? Peter, do you love me? How many times? Three times. Thank you. Three times he said that. Peter said, you know I love you. You know I love you, Jesus. You know I love you. Well, Jesus said, Peter, I've prayed for you. Now catch this. We talked about this a little bit last week, but more in depth this week. Peter, I'm praying for you that your faith would fail not. That when thou art converted, key word here, converted, let's look at other translations. Other translations say, when you return to me, when you get connected back with me. See, at this point, Peter says, I'm going fishing. I, he was a fisherman. So he was like taking the first step out away from Christ, out from his calling, who he really is. His identity is now in Christ. He's going to step away from that and go fishing again. And he's taking the whole gang with him. We got a problem. Jesus just spent three years of his life, died, was rose again. And Peter's taking everybody fishing for the wrong kind of fish. Before Jesus left, well, actually it was at this time when he said, I'm making you fishers of men. But I want you to catch this point. Thank you, Jesus. He says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And, and then, of course, Peter said, yeah, I love you, Lord. I love you. And then three times, and he was all flustered with him. He says, Peter, I've prayed for you so that your faith fail not. I want you to stay connected with me. And I have a little thing, a little thing that I wanted you to, 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 to cover with me. Why is it so 
urgent that we stay connected to Christ and stay connected to Jesus, like vitally united. Guess why? Why is it that Satan is trying to separate you from God? Why is it he's trying to get you to stay out of church? Why is it he's trying to get you to not read your Bible? Because the enemy knows this one truth. And everybody look with me, please, to John 15, verse 4 and 5. And I'm going to look at this in the Good News Translation. You may not have it up there, but pull up the message next. Look what this says. Jesus said, remain united to me and I will remain united to you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It cannot do so. It can only do so if it remains in the vine. In the, in the very same way, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Now, here's a, here, here's a key thing. With For you can do nothing without me. King James Version, everybody knows this scripture, most of the people in the room. Without me, you can do how much? Say it again. Without me, you can do nothing. Please get this picture. Without being connected to Christ, vitally connected, not just once a week, sort of pay my dues Christian, but really vitally connected to him, we can't do anything. We are stripped from our power. We might as well be like Samson where they shaved him. We can't do anything without him. At least that's what Jesus says. And my dear friend, despite the fact that you may be a Bible-toting Christian and you quote Philippians 4.13 all the, or 4.19, the one that says, excuse me, I get them mixed up, but this is the one, the one that says, I can do all things through Christ. That's just it. It's through Christ that you can do things. Through vital union with Him. That's right. So when he's trying to sift you as wheat, he's trying to divide you from him. Did you see that? He's trying to break the connection. Well, Pastor Tom, what does it mean, break the connection? Friends, you're, you're, not, going, you're, you're not lost and going to hell just because you stopped reading your Bible, stopped coming to church, and you got all casual. But what, what it does mean is that you're outside somewhat of the protective covering, and you're open prey for things to happen to you. And then when you rise up, you're almost at the point of saying, I rebuke you to the enemy. I resist you in the name of Jesus, the one that Paul preaches. You're almost, you know, the one that Bertha prays about. You know, I, you know the, whatever they do in that prayer meeting, the, the, the one that, uh, you know, other people pray. I rebuke you in that name. That's the one. But friends, that's not the kind of authority that you can wield. The only way that you can wield effective authority is that you are connected to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Christians don't get this. I'm, I'm, I'm just convinced of it. They're trying to use Christian formulas to resist. You know, the Bible does say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But it also says, submit yourself unto God or connect yourself to God. And then resist the devil and then he'll flee from you. And somebody, I know it's not the first time you heard it, but maybe this is a, a slightly different way. Stay with me is a, is a word that, you know, when somebody's passing out or they're, they're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Kind of like P.T. when he passed out in the office and Ingrid is saying, come on, P.T., stay with me, stay with me. Come on. No, don't pass out. Don't pass. You know, some of you know some of the drama in the office when I pinch my finger and a little blood happens. Oh, I'm passing out. The whole office staff rushes to help me. Oh, Pastor Tom, come on, stay with us, stay with us. Call the ambulance, you know. Stay with me, stay with me. Come on, you know, come on, come on, stay with me. Breathe, breathe, breathe. 
I just see Jesus saying to some of you, come on, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. Come on, come on, come on, just stay with it. Stay with, stay with me, stay with me. Come on, you know. And you know, it's, it's, it's like you can let go. And you know, you've been there and I've been there. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. In a situation where you could be hanging on to Jesus with that kind of a grip that we talked about last week, you can let go on the inside. You can let go of the promises. You can grow weary and we'll find, you'll see why in a moment, why you can. It's easy to grow weary. But I hear Jesus saying, stay with me, stay with me. Praise God. I think I'm going to leave that right there. I think that connected with somebody. But I want to show you something. Let's talk about identity because the, the theme for tonight is identity theft alert. You are much more effective knowing who you are, what you have, how to use what you have with confidence, and know who you're connected with. That always brings confidence. Even a child, if they know this is my mom and this is my dad, that brings a sense of confidence to their life. Or, I remember when we were dating. This is my girlfriend. I mean, that brings a sense of confidence. But if it says like, like maybe yes, maybe no, up, down, where's the little pedals that you, that brings what? That brings insecurity, doesn't it? I, I just, I want to, you know, I am not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but I do, I do want to put forth to you some layman's terms about identity. This will help you because what's being, a, what's attempted oftentimes in this whole process of you trying to take authority and live life effectively is the enemy tries to strike you in what you might term as an Achilles heel. And that would be your identity. Mm. Just tries to get you there. And unless you're aware of it, your faith will become ineffectual. Let's talk about this. What about deaf identity? Well, let's get into this. I have like five little things here. The condition of being oneself or itself and not another. Okay, so your own identity. Like you're your own person. You're different than somebody else. If you like bologna sandwiches and the other person likes... You know, um, I don't know, hamburgers and you and you stick your ground, you stay your ground. I like bologna sandwiches and you don't just shift for everybody else. That's a form of identity, isn't it? I mean, it's a form of like, I'm going to tell the truth. Everybody else is lying, but you're going to tell the truth. That's a form of identity as far as character. Everybody follow that. And then the condition or character as to who a person is is or, or what a thing is or who a person is. And when you add up who you are, it's your likes, your dislikes, your core values, your moral base, and you know the decisions that you make, things that you like and dislike. Is that, does that make sense to people? And how you respond to life and life situations. The state or fact of being the same as one... I like this one. Let me make sure I don't gloss over it. The state or fact of being the same... As one described, I want to park it on this one for a moment, because the Bible clearly describes who you are, who you are in Christ. He identifies who you are. The fruit of the spirit are clearly defined. Listen, you're well taught in this place. You know the manner of life that you are, that we are to lead. Is that right? When a situation hits you, we're supposed to be according, we're supposed to respond as described 
There's a certain characteristic. I love the, the newsletter Pastor Mark put out recently. We, we all have a confession on uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Everybody meditating and speaking the love of God. It never takes offense. It never seeks its own. It's always believing the best of every person. Is that right? All those things. Never envious. Never boils over. Never boastful. All those things. That is a characteristic. You might say that that's an identity. Part of an identity. You follow that? How about this? Exact likeness in nature or quality. And, and this is an identity of interest or an instance or point of sameness or likeness. Now catch this because this isn't something I read in a book. This is something that just came out of my spirit. If it works for you, hey, super. If it doesn't, just put it on the shelf. But I figured a person's identity is about as different, is, is kind of like the wind. It's kind of hard necessarily to see what made it. Was it the environment or was it something you read or was it something you were born with it in your genes? And I'm sure that all the all those in, in, in human development, you, you have a, an umpteen amount of descriptions of how we developed into who we are, who you are today. I mean, there's, there's social background. This is, but I suggest to you this, that the company in which you keep is one of the greatest identifiers of your identity. Like if I said, we're Trekkies, then you know we're going to the Star Trek conventions, we know all the actors, we know absolutely everything. Like you expect something, and I say, Trekkie, you know, you expect a, a beam me up, Scotty, nanu, nanu, and all this. You know, how many of you can relate to that? Oh, I love communicators and zappy things, and I like beaming places, and I like science fiction. So the moment... Somebody says, I'm a Trekkie. That's a, that's a point of identification. And if you go to a Star Trek convention, dear Lord, you might run into 10 or 15 Mr. Spocks. Is that right? And notice this sameness or likeness. You look like him. Everybody looking the same. You know what I'm saying? They're all trying to be the same way. You follow that? Well, you know, we think that's comical, but with just I want you to think about this for a moment. In our present life culture, there are people that do that all the time. They pick a subgroup like Hell's Angels. They all dress the same. They have the same ride. They have the same thing on the back. They talk the same. The bandanas, da-da-da, da-da. Is that right? How about the cholos? Amen, what's up, man? ¿Qué pasa, hermano? Hey, you know, in the good la raza, man. You know what I'm talking about, hombre? And all the cars have the sparkly, the, the oversized cars with the big backs, with the boom, boom, boom. I'm like, why are they doing that over there? They think they're so cool. It's part of their, I, everybody say it. It's part of their, they identify with that. Absolutely the truth. Well, I think you got the point. You see, the, so, so really, when you congregate in a church, there's a culture in the church. It's the culture of heaven. And there's an identity here that you take on, corporately and individually. But there should be a stream of identity that you carry that's similar to every other Christian. Love, there's no excuse for Christians not to walk in love. That's the code. Jesus said the greatest of these is love. Develop the love walk. Is that right? How about kindness? Absolutely. How about generosity? How about fearlessness? That's a part of our culture. And how about modesty? 
Like we don't run around boasting about everything. We're modest. When someone else does a good job, we compliment them. We, we, we encourage them on. We're not trying to claw people down so we can step on them so we can get higher on the ladder. We know that, that promotion comes from the, from where? That's right. There's a culture about that. And so, you see, that identity that you have, I am convinced in layman's terms, if you will, that your identity, it's, it's an interactive thing, but it comes from the people or the, the spirits, if you will, that you hang around, okay? That helps to form your moral base and your behavior and how you're going to respond and even your language, hello, your language, how you dress. You're going to hang out with everybody that, you know, what do they do? Uh, pierce everything in sight and paint everything and, uh, uh, and hanging down to there. I mean, if, that, if that's what you do, you're going to hang out with people that do that. Is that right? That will be your world or your identity. And mind you this, whether you're a rock and roller, a rapper, or, or, or a hell's angel, or whatever, or cholo, whatever you think you are, you have to serve somebody. You are going to serve somebody. And if you think, I am so unique. No, you're not. There is nothing new under the sun. I got to move fast or else I'm going to lose my time. So I want to I want to show you something. I believe that the identity thief comes to steal and take your place out from where you are with God. And it hurts your identity to stop gathering with the spirit of God, the presence of God, the word of God and the people of God. It hurts your identity. You start to take something else on. Not only that, if you, if you go for a prolonged period of time, it could come to the point where you no longer have power because without me you can do nothing. Now, I'm not going to stand here and say that unless you go to church, you cannot be connected to Jesus. But last I checked, it's a command for believers, especially in the last days, to be connected. You have to be connected. It says so much the more as you see the day approaching, encouraging one another. Is that right or not? Am I preaching good tonight or what? So, who you are, really, and who I am, is really derived from the greater one that we fellowship with. All right? And, and it's important for you to answer three questions when you develop your identity. Three questions. And I, I know that you'll remember these because there's something very memorable that I'll bring to your attention in just a moment. Who you are, really, who you're connected to. Who you are connected to. Secondly... What you have, specially or specifically at your disposal, what you have, the resources that you have. If you were the son of, let's see, um, who's, the, who's the owner and developer of, of, of Apple? John's. Uh, huh? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. If you were Steve Jobs' son, you, there's almost a given... That you have an iPad, the latest iPhone. You even have the prototype. You have the iCar. I'm sure there's one out there, don't you think? <laughs> don't you think, Pastor Nancy, there's an iCar? I'm sure there's something out there. But, but you know, it's just a given that there's certain... Everybody say, privileges. Say it again. There's certain 
privileges that come along. I mean, I'm sure that that uh, President Obama's uh, and Mrs. Obama's daughters, they're walking in an arena that they didn't they didn't earn that. Catch this, please. They didn't earn that, but they live in the White House. They have the national dog. They get chefs cooking them whatever meal. Just, I'd like more of this, please, and more of that, please. And just because of their association. Catch this. It's nothing they did. It's because they are connected to their daddy. And their daddy happens to be the president of the United States. And so by association... Instead of associate, listen, do you think that those girls, that their life changed when they went into the White House? Absolutely. Even though when he was a senator, it was at a certain level of development of identification. Now, there's a huge difference between being a senator from a certain location to becoming the president of the United States. It's like from little league to the big league. Is that right? So I'm telling you that I think it affected those girls the same way it affects you when you get close to Jesus and in his face and around God and the things of God. Am I right or not? You know it's right. So what those girls have at their disposal, the resources that they have, the assistance that they have, you might even say the authority they have. I mean, those girls go down the street and somebody looks at them wrong. They'll, look, they'll give a signal to the CIA agent or whoever uh, comes and says, that boy, he messed with me in school. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Who is that young man? Ooh. I mean, there's special protection and spe- everybody say special treatment. That's where we get the whole idea. He gives his angels special charge over you in all your ways. Catch this. Catch this. It's part of your identity. So there's a position of authority. There's things they can make happen that, I mean, as much as we might try, we're not in that position, are we? So, you know, I don't have a chef and have a national dog and... But I'm still happy in my place. you got to be happy in your place. But the thing is, you have a place in Christ. Don't let the identity thief steal that from you. And remember, all of this is in relation to as long as they're connected to their daddy. And as long as they're... This is one for parents. As long as their daddy stays in the right place at the right time. Is that right? Do you suppose what happens to the parents, to the fathers, decisions fathers make will affect their kids? You know it will. Enough said. Dads, moms, do the right thing. Make the right choices. Third thing. First one was who you are in your relationship to God. Secondly, what you have at your disposal, the resources and that. And thirdly is what you can do because of who you are. You know, and and the resources you have, your calling, your destiny in God, the choices that you can make, you can make choices. And I love this statement. This this received a lot of flack on the blogs on the internet and really the people that blog this, the people that criticize this, they totally lack understanding. 
They said, oh, it's just, it sounds like a cult or it sounds like, oh, it's just so old and so lame. I mean, really, you could see some, no offense, you could see some, some kids just mouthing off, giving opinions. But there is, there is a voice that comes from the Spirit of God, I believe, and it came from generations ago. And it said, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. And you know, there's a certain, you probably know who said that. (laughs) This congregation says that on a regular basis. But you know what that does? That's strengthening their identity. I am who the Bible says I am. Man, I wish I had time. Let me tell you something about identity. It's so important that when Jesus was on the earth, if you go to Mark, Matthew chapter 4, I want to at least get this in there. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And in verse 1, 40 days and 40 nights, then he was hungry. Verse 3, now the tempter, who by the way is the accuser of the brethren, right? He's the one that tries to put in insecurity into your identity. I want you to notice that there were three dimensions to the attack on Jesus. Of the three, two of them were directly correlating to his identity. One was correlating to his calling, trying to make it easier on him. Because he realized, okay, this cat is not going to budge from who he is. So I guess he knows who he is. So let's, let's see if he'll bite the bait and go the easy way. So listen, of the three, this speaks volumes. Please catch this. We're almost closing, so don't get nervous. We got the hour. Everybody say, hour of power. Hour of power. Notice this. The first one, it says in verse 3, If, say it with me, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Can you see what he's trying to do here? He's trying to put insecurity into Jesus. If you're the Son of Prove it to yourself. And prove it to me. And do something stupid. And tempt God. And of course Jesus said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, the enemy was trying to determine when Jesus breaks his fast. He's always a manipulator. Ooh, I hope I can get to that. I don't know if I'm going to get to it. Another time maybe. But he's a manipulator. And he's trying to get control. Trying to get a handle on you. But you know, if you walk in the love of God and stay connected, the Bible clearly states, the wicked one touches if not. Whoops, can't touch this. Whoops, can't touch this. Can't get a hold of me. Don't give him a handle to grab a hold of your life. Ephesians says, don't give him a place. I trust that gives you confidence, not scares you. But anyway, the second time... Uh, that he, uh, it says in verse 5, the devil took him up to a holy city, set him up on a pinnacle. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. What's he doing? He is attacking his identity again. If you say who you say you are, then go ahead and throw yourself down. And I hate that stupid religious spirit. It always, religious spirits are some of the worst ones on the planet. It's it always they're trying to quote a scripture to you to get you to do something stupid. Of course, Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Then, of course, the third one 
was, was where he said, uh, worship me, and we can maybe talk about that some other time. That's, that's a great teaching in and of itself. Worship me, and I'm going to give you all the kingdoms. Do it the easy way, Jesus. Friends, Jesus didn't do it the easy way. That's the prototype for us. Hello. And if we are hanging around him, we never run for the easy way. We're not really running for the hard way either. We're just going for the right way. Somebody said amen. Hallelujah. So you got to know, oh boy, 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 boy. Okay, 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 we got that. Hallelujah. This is really good, friends. Are you guys having a good time? I am too. I'm going to come over here and get a book. I'm going to read something to you by Rick Renner. And I sure hope it's in here, and here it is. I'm just going to read a few things for you because you've got to protect your identity. Let's read a couple pages to you from this, and then we'll close. Everybody still here? In the hour of power? The enemy is our adversary. And in page 48 of uh, Rick Renner's book, Spiritual Weapons to Defeat the Enemy, he shows how adversary actually comes from a Greek word, antidikos. And basically, let me just read to you what he says. The name adversary is extremely important when attempting to understand the devil's mode of operation. It's taken from the, re, the word antidikos, which is a compound of the Greek words anti and dikos. The word anti simply means against. However, in the older, more classic Greek, it was used to denote a mental condition of a man or woman who was on the edge of insanity. This, in fact, was terribly, a terribly dangerous person who would do someone great harm if he or she was not restrained. Therefore, the word anti is a very nasty word. The second part of the word adversary is taken from the Greek word dikos. Dikos is the root word for righteousness. It refers to justice, rightness, fairness, and righteousness. When the two words are compounded together, they portray one who is adamantly opposed to righteousness. Because the word anti carries the idea of hostility. This means the devil is one who is hostile toward righteousness. Or he is one who desires to destroy righteousness and obliterate it. This means that the devil is not just passively opposed to the presence of righteousness or righteous people. He's actively pursuing them and doing all within his power to wipe them out. Did you catch that? He hates righteousness. Oh, hmm. And uh, one way or another, he mentally tries to devour them with the temptation of the present, which, with, with memories of the past or all that is done to him in order to assault your sense of righteousness. And when you lose your sense of righteousness, and you know Christ has been made unto us what? Righteousness. And righteousness, in a real brief word, because I only have a few minutes, might be said, put in right standing with God. Okay, put it this way. You had a nasty argument with your, with your husband or wife or a friend. And you're like not on speaking terms. But finally you get back and you worked it out and you're back together. Husband and wife, you're lovey-dovey again. You know, it's like you're back, back on speaking terms. You're back together. You're holding hands again. Y'all, can y'all relate to that a little bit here? Okay. Well, you see, the idea here is that when you're standing in the righteousness that God gives, you're tight with God. You're connected to Him. You're, and there isn't anything that He's holding against you. You feel totally at rest. But see, the enemy is always trying to bring up something from your past. 
And what he's trying to do is ruin your identity. He's trying to get you to let go of God and say, I'm not worthy. Oh, yeah, that was such a horrible thing. And try to downplay the blood of Jesus in your life. Listen to me now because I'm going to close. Trying to downplay the role that the blood of Jesus plays in your life and get you to isolate you so that you can make, by decision, by degree, remove yourself from Jesus to such a degree that you no longer have power and you are defenseless. And that's where we get to the scripture for Satan is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Friend, if you're not connected to Jesus, you're one of those whom that he may devour. Oh, I wish I had more time, but you know our time has come to a close. And I believe that God is really helping us. Hallelujah. I wish I could talk about more things, but maybe next time. How many of you look forward to next time? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are identified with Christ. We understand and know that we can do all things, but it's through Christ. We understand, Lord, that we are the head and not the tail, and that we're the righteousness of God, but it's in Christ. And so I pray for my friends, Lord, everyone within the sound of my voice, that Christ would be formed in them, and whatever is hounding them to try to separate them from you. That we break that in the name of Jesus. We pray that from, our, from their hearts they would open to you, and let Christ be fully conformed on the inside of them that they would not allow their lives to be conformed and their identity to be lost but rather to be found in thee in Jesus name not having their own righteousness but yours and we thank you that the devil is a defeated foe and that we do have authority and we can pray with authority and when we pray especially when we're connected to you you said abide in me and let my words abide in you and if you ask what you will it will be done for you and we thank you Lord that our conscience does not condemn us because we know that we're connected to you and we're forgiven in Jesus mighty name everybody shout it amen Amen. Hallelujah. Does that help anybody today?